With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We hope week one was the worst loss of the season. And for better or for worse, the Jets have done a good job of helping us to forget it already. That and more on the Brandon Contest Jets podcast right now. Contest. I am a contest. You better like me. I'm from Patchog. All righty, nice job with the free music YouTube. As always, you're listening to the Brandon Contest Jets podcast on SB Nation, episode three of my first ever sports podcast, where we'll keep it simple, we'll keep it short, never more than 20 minutes. If I have more to say, I'll just put it in another podcast. That Texans-Saints Monday night football game, I think I almost owe an apology to the Jets because I flipped the mic on right after they lost 17-16 week one against the Buffalo Bills, blowing the 16-0 lead, having a lead late and an opportunity to seal the victory if the defense is able to get the Bills off the field, which they couldn't do. So I I had ripped the Jets' defense. Even though it wasn't solely their fault, there was plenty of blame to go around. The offense couldn't score after four turnovers, the special teams, the coaching. All of it was bad. But I focused on the defense because they had an opportunity to erase everything and get the Jets the victory at the end of the game, and they were unable to do it. But after watching that Saints-Texans Monday night football game, I, I think it's just a league-wide problem. The NFL wants it. They want a lot of scoring late. They, they want it to be hard on defenses to stop teams because they want teams to come back. It creates excitement. And when I'm watching that Monday night football game, Saints-Texans, yeah, it was exciting to see the back and forth in under a minute. But imagine if the Saints just stop the Texans inside a minute. Imagine if they stop the Texans and they win the game, and we don't get the Texans' touchdown, and then the Saints getting the ball back with 30 seconds and scoring a field goal, and all that chaos inside of a minute. It's a good game, but it doesn't get the publicity. It doesn't get the publicity that that back-and-forth type of finish got. So as a fan of a team that hasn't had a potent offense in seemingly decades... They're never the type of team that can come back on other teams. They're always the type of team that lets other teams come back on them. And that's one of the reasons why the Jets' defense has so much trouble in games, because the NFL promotes that. That's what the NFL wants. So it can be fun to watch when you're not a fan of one of the teams that are playing. But when you are a fan of the team and and you're a fan of the team that usually is going to have the big-time defense that's supposed to stop the offense late and they can't do it, It's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. So more so than this just being a jet problem, I think it's just a a league-wide problem that you kind of got to get used to. But it's on to week two, the 17-16 loss we put behind us. And it's almost been easy to do that because of the amount of jet news that there's been in these few short days. And I want to start with the head coach. And I'm going to do a little waffling here, which I'm allowed to do. I'm not running for office. I'm not a politician. Just talking about some sports. No big deal. But I hated the hire of Adam Gase when they made it. Yet during the offseason, I started buying in to Adam Gase as the head coach of the New York Jets a little bit. 
I started buying into him as the crazed mad scientist, as the the genius that was going to challenge Bill Belichick, the offensive genius that was going to make Sam Darnold a star quarterback. I started buying in to all of that talk. But the concerns that I had about Adam Gase as the head coach of the New York Jets, they're already shining after one week. The issues that he had in Miami, alienating the players, alienating the, the media, placing blame on players, those are the concerns that I had when the Jets hired Adam Gase, especially coming to New York. It, it didn't seem like a personality. It didn't seem like a style of coaching that would fit well in the New York media market. It didn't seem like somebody that would have any sort of long-term success here. Even if it goes well early, it was bound to blow up at some point in the near future. Well, after one week, I'm already concerned about it blowing up. The way that he's treated the players after the first loss of the season, the way that he's dealt with the media during their conference calls just this week alone, I'm worried. And after the loss on Sunday, look, you blow a 16-0 lead, you lose 17-16. The offense doesn't score points after four turnovers from the defense. There's a lot of blame on the head coaching there, and he should be putting plenty of blame on himself, which he did after the game. But then during the week, he says, you know, I, I looked at the tape and maybe it wasn't as much on me as I thought. Maybe it was more on the players. And that's not something maybe as a fan, as a fan, that frustration that the head coach feels after watching the game, you could relate to it. You know, calling out the players is a little bit refreshing. You know, I'm not going to say that there weren't times that I, as a fan, I wish Todd Bowles wasn't calling out the players because there were. There were times that you watch the game and you want Todd Bowles to just come out with some fire and start saying how bad everybody looked, but it, you didn't get it. So now you're getting it from Adam Gase, but you're getting it after the first week, after a week where you blew a 16 nothing lead, and after a week where the coaching was suspect. These are the type of things that you expect maybe in December, maybe in year two, year three, but after week one of year one where you're you're questioning the credentials of Adam Gase already because what has he done in his career to, to earn the right to do that? And again, this is after he already tried this in Miami and it all blew up in his face. And I don't, I don't know what Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News did to Adam Gase, but he clearly got on his bad side because Mehta was somebody that was supportive of the hiring of Gase earlier uh, in the offseason when it happened. He, he didn't want Mike McCarthy. He was, he was all in on Adam Gase. So when it happened, you kind of thought that they would generate a good relationship. Mehta had a good relationship with Todd Bowles. You expected maybe he would develop one with Adam Gase, but it seems to have gone south quick because he was asking fair questions during the conference call this week, and for whatever reason, Gase was, was certainly having none of it. That, that sounds like the voice of a head coach that's 0-8 in year four and about to get fired. That does not sound like a coach that's coming. And, and again, like I said, these are the frustrations that we have, as fans, we have these frustrations. So that there's there's a part of it that's a little bit refreshing, but there's another part of it that makes it that this does not sound like a head coach that's going to be able to last in New York for more than just a couple of years. I mean, listening to that, listening to how he handled that conference call, it's, it's hard to imagine him making it to year three with, with the Jets. But... 
Look, there are more issues with the Jets right now. We know the the issues with the kicking situation, which was a disaster in week one. They bring in Sam Ficken. So now they're already on their they're on their fourth kicker since letting Myers go in the offseason. Four. So what are the odds that Ficken lasts? They had the open tryouts or supposedly had open tryouts, but then I guess they didn't let everybody try out because there was the guy that called in WFAN. There was a college kicker and an amateur kicker, and he flew in overnight from Salt Lake City, and he's standing outside on the corner with a sign saying, please let me get an opportunity to kick, but they never gave him a chance. So they bring in Sam Ficken as their their replacement now, and this is, again, the fourth kicker since letting Myers go. Kickers are like bullpen pitchers. You kind of just got to wait and see. They have up years. They have down years. So I, I can't give any sort of insight onto what I think about bringing Ficken in. I'm just glad that they let Corey Vedvik go. And at this point, we just kind of got to hope they brought in a kicker that can get hot and, and give you a good year, give you a good two years maybe. And for that, you take a, a wait-and-see approach. Uh, so real quick, when I started this podcast, I was told less than 20 minutes, you don't need a commercial in the middle of it. And I planned on keeping all my podcasts less than 20 minutes. Therefore, I never needed to add a commercial break. I never set up a commercial break, which meant if somebody else went ahead and added a commercial break, it would sound weird. It would sound forced. And Apparently, they added a commercial break, and they're going to continue doing so. So this time, I'm going to set up the break by telling you to make sure you stick around through the commercial break for the rest of my tantalizing Jets talk. So, all right, back after this, okay? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. We're back. Okay. And two big news stories that happen outside of the kicker to, again, help us forget about the loss from week one. Uh, the Jets traded for Demarius Thomas for a six-round draft pick, and that, that coincides with Quincy Anunua being done for the year, which is it's sad for Anunua, who's a, a talented wide receiver. His career never really got to take off with the Jets because he's injury-prone. Uh, he had the neck injury last year, yet they still gave him the four-year, $36 million contract in the offseason, which made you worried, but you kind of hope that if they gave him that contract, they did their due diligence, and he was going to be healthy for, for this season, but obviously that's pretty impossible to predict in the NFL, but you love the player. I hated the contract personally, but was just kind of really hopeful that he was going to be healthy and you would get to see him uh, develop that connection with Sam, but it just, uh, just isn't not, it's not going to work out. So that leads to getting Demarius Thomas from the Patriots. And then right away, everybody jumps to the Jets lose the trade because it's with the Patriots. It's with Bill Belichick. If Belichick's willing to trade somebody, then it must be a, a bad trade for the opposing team. Look, here's my issue with Demarius Thomas, and it's a six-round pick, so I'm, I'm not going to be upset about it. It's it's worthwhile to take a chance on a big wide receiver to replace Quincy Anunua, maybe as somebody that's a good end zone target for Sam Darnold. But the, the issue is that he's on his fourth team in two years. So the, the lack of productivity, it's not about the fact that you're getting him from the New England Patriots. Whatever team at this point is willing to trade him to you to, to go on his fourth team in two years, that's the concern. So it doesn't matter that it's Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick does not win every trade and every free agent signing he makes. He's had some bad ones. He drafted Aaron Hernandez. He traded for Albert Hainsworth. That was a disaster. How does the Antonio Brown trade look right now? And Brown, who went from a seemingly good guy last year a hardworking, almost a non-diva wide receiver. He really didn't fit into that diva wide receiver class until the end of last year, really until he, he 
took himself out of the lineup and started to sound selfish, sitting games out at the end of the year, the last two weeks, acting like a clown in the offseason, making people wonder about his desire to even play football. That's when Antonio Brown started to kind of go off the rails a little bit. And then he goes back, he goes to the, the Patriots, the Patriots trade for him, and everybody assumes, well, the Patriots bring him in, they're going to fix him. But now he's got the rape accusations in a civil trial. And this all happened without him even playing a game. He went from being one of the best wide receivers in football and a solid teammate to to now what he's known as. And, I mean, now he's becoming infamous even outside of the NFL. And if you happen to see the ESPN 30 for 30 on Dennis Rodman last night, I mean, the parallels are kind of ironic. You're watching the same things that happened to Dennis Rodman almost happen to Antonio Brown right now not that I not that I'm saying that there's any sort of outside alcohol influences or anything the way Rodman had but just in terms of being known as a good hard-working teammate to becoming this infamous figure both inside and outside of the league but did you hear Bill Belichick up in Foxborough today I mean he's snippier than usual even and he certainly has no problem being snippy with the with the media but he was uh not too thrilled to be getting all the Antonio Brown questions, which is something that's going to continue now for weeks until this civil trial is ended, which could obviously take a while. But in terms of Demarius Thomas to the Jets, I'm not concerned that they're getting him from the New England Patriots. I'm more just concerned, was there any other teams that would have wanted him? He's 32 years old. He's on his fourth team in two years. But again, it's a six-round pick, so you're getting a big wide receiver. You're getting a guy that maybe could be a good end zone target for Sam. It's not like he gave up a second, third, or fourth round for him. A six-round pick, it's worth the gamble. But it was amazing to see. The last trade that the Jets made with the Patriots was for Bill Belichick himself. So you, you hope that this trade doesn't turn into what that trade was. You hope that six-round draft pick doesn't become the next Tom Brady, and then you have to deal with that for the next 20 years or so. But it's, it's on to Cleveland, as Coach Belichick would say. So on to the Browns. Monday night football. The Browns coming off of a loss that might be even worse than what the Jets experienced. The Jets experienced the late-game blown lead loss, whereas the Browns experienced the blowout loss, losing by 30 to the Tennessee Titans. Tons of talent, high expectations, maybe unreasonable expectations, but they did that to themselves. And this is a team that certainly, they're talented enough that they can beat anybody. They're that good. But can they do it for 16 games? Can they be cohesive and work together for 16 games to put together a good season and not let everybody, all those personalities get in the way? No, I, I, I don't think so. Tons of talent, but too many volatile personalities. But coming off of an embarrassing loss this early in the season, that's a team that's scary. Because you would think a team that had the high expectations that the Cleveland Browns had that were supposed to win week one against the Tennessee Titans, when they get blown out by 30, they're going to be willing in week two this early on in their tenure together to push their egos aside and work together to get a victory. And from the Jets' perspective, you got the Browns, the Patriots, then you're by the Philadelphia Eagles, the Dallas Cowboys, the New England Patriots. Again, they're staring at 0-6. And remember when we played this game during the first podcast I did, the win-loss game? All right, that's a win, okay. That's a loss. Right, ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum. I had them beating the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots to get to 2-4. and four. That doesn't look good right now. They already lost to the Bills, and I'm not confident all of a sudden that they're going to beat the Patriots in Week 3. So they're staring at 0-6 with a coach that doesn't handle the players, doesn't handle the media well. I could see this completely blowing up. And this is, again, this is coming off of one loss, 0-1. Half the teams in the league are going to start out 0-1. That's just how the mathematics work out. So am I overreacting? That they're going to go 0-6 after losing to the Buffalo Bills in Week 1? Maybe. But overreacting is entertaining. Saying, let's just see what happens 
and hope for the best is monotonous. Now's the time to overreact. Be irrational and unreasonable because the Jets had an awful loss with a hothead head coach and a frightening schedule to follow. Jets first Browns Monday Night Football must win game. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Condes Jets podcast. We'll chat soon. Be good.